This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers, and I am so delighted to have been with you uh, these last years, to have the privilege of this platform, this podcast platform. Wow, that's three Ps, the privilege of the podcast platform. Um, And I'm not even puckering up. Okay, you can laugh later. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's as old as it can get. What do you think that might be? Well, of course, it's the scripture, but it's a certain portion of scripture. And I'm calling this lesson the Beatitudes with a twist. Now, don't don't hang up on me. Don't leave me yet, okay? I'm not sure if you'll relate to this, but I still often get confused about the Beatitudes. Uh, Are they blessed? Are there eight or are there nine? Have I memorized them when I was a girl? When I was a girl going to a wonderful Sunday school program, I memorized the Lord's Prayer and all the books of the Bibles and the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments. I I, I memorized all of them. But I never got that. I couldn't keep connected. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to say, well, blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now that may be my brain power. But it's never until recently uh, made a good catch with me. And as you know, I have been these last um, 18 months, particularly in the last three years, immersing myself in the writings and work of Eugene Peterson. And before he died, uh, the year before he died in 2017, he gave permission to recast in exact version... Uh, some of his sermons. And so I recently listened slash read a sermon on the Beatitudes. And he didn't call it the Beatitudes. As a matter of fact, I thought, oh, that's a great picture because the title, as I remember it, went something like, and Jesus went up to the mountain. And I was struck with that because we're talking about quiet and listening And we're talking many times in the last few months about the places where the scripture says, and Jesus went away. He sent them away to be alone. And I thought, so he went up to the mountain. And I'm thinking what we're going to talk about is his mountain experience and quiet. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. The Beatitudes, which are found in Matthew chapter 5, are placed in a very significant place. The first thing is that we must remember that this was Jesus' first sermon. Now, Jesus gave many sermons, short and small, long and very executed perfectly. But this were the first sentences of his first sermon. Does that sound powerful to you? When I think of the men and women whose works I have read, whose message I have listened to, I have some old cassette tapes of A.W. Tozer. They're just almost impossible to hear and understand when they were brand new. But there was his voice speaking these things that I had come to love and cherish. And I 
think Jesus. These were the first words. So I was immediately taken. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak. And he taught them, saying, and here come the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you've just heard the eight Beatitudes. And the ninth portion of the Beatitudes starts by changing the tense. And he says, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the eight Beatitudes, he says, you, he doesn't use the word you, he says, those, they, them, they will be. And then he ends it by saying, blessed are you, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. Have you ever felt persecuted? I know the answer to that question. We all have. And sometimes we've lived in persecution. Sometimes we've grown up in shame and persecution and um, distraught relationships. So what I want to do today is the Beatitudes with a twist, is I want to give you a portion of what Eugene gave me, um, and that is not just what the Beatitudes are and what you can expect from them, but how come he gives us these eight blesseds and gives us not only what we should do, but what will happen to us? Well, he obviously means for us to do something so that what he has predicted will happen to us does happen to us. And he's faithful. He's so faithful. So we've been talking about listening, and as a part of this uh, listening study. Uh, we're looking at the Beatitudes because I want to talk to you about time and careful listening. Time and careful listening. Friendships take time and careful listening. Marriages take time and careful listening. Hmm. And some of us are married to either the really careful one or you're the careful one and the other one doesn't listen so carefully. Which one are you? Parenting takes time and careful listening. International diplomacy takes time and careful listening. You've been reading the newspapers and hearing the news and watching the interviews and watching the speeches. Doesn't seem like anyone's spending much time or carefully listening to anyone. Scripture and God take time and careful listening. How are you doing? How are you doing in taking time and practicing careful listening in all of these arenas, but particularly in the Word of God? 
I hear often with the women that I'm privileged to know and meet, I want to know him better. I wish I had more friends who love Christ. I want to find portions of scripture easily. I want to understand what the kingdom of God life looks like. It it took some convincing, I think, to our generation that this was the kingdom of God. That for those of us who have said, yes, Lord, you are mine and I am yours, we are in God's kingdom and we are living in God's kingdom on this kingdom of earth. It will change. The kingdom of God will change when he comes. But it takes time and careful listening. And I want to ask you how you're doing with that. Well, the Sermon on the Mount, which is something we at Modern Homemakers keep coming back to. We keep coming back to it. And I must confess that when I was preparing this lesson, I thought I didn't start the Sermon on the Mount series, which I've started two years ago and determined to complete teaching all portions of it, I didn't start with the Beatitudes, which would have been a logical place for Donna Otter to begin at the beginning. Matthew chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1. But I didn't, and I bounced all around in all of the Sermon on the Mount subjects. And I think in part that was, I wasn't confident to teach this lesson. I thought, I understand the Beatitudes. I know what they mean. I know what their promises are. I know they're a part of the sermon. But I didn't fully grasp some things that I've recently come to understand. So once we get the Sermon on the Mount, we will have acquired an accurate and comprehensive imagination with which to interpret everything that Jesus taught us everything about the kingdom of God. Now, first, we all know or will remember that each of the sentences begin with the word blessed. Blessed. Now, don't give up on yourself if you're saying, been there, done that, but I still don't remember how they all end. Well, I think what I'm going to share with you will help you with that. This material has the potential of changing how you think, how you act, how you pray, how you, what you desire for your relationship with God. Matthew chapters 1 through 4 are spent totally talking about God is with us. Do you believe that? God is with us. I came to the studio and I came in the door and I was kind of breathing heavily and I sat down and said to my producer, you wouldn't believe what just happened. This car appeared out of nowhere and I was inches away from that car. He was inches away from me. I don't know if it was he or she. That white car was inches away from me. But I felt the certainty that God had protected me from that car. This word blessed, and they all start the same, blessed. All the theys and theirs, and then nine we get into talking about me. But what I want you to recognize is that this was a very odd word. It was a very odd word to the hearers. We use bless, bless my heart, you are blessed, blessed. Um, We use that word frequently. And I think a few decades ago, I recall that there were a lot of new translations of the Bible that continued to be, and they had exchanged the word blessed for happy. The happitudes. I think there was a book called The Happitudes. Irrespective, the word blessed, blessed, was not a word that the first century people were comfortable with, uh, heard very often. Now, 
that's such a different civilization than the one we live in. Not only do we live in the 20th century and the 21st century, in Western civilization, American 21st century Western civilization, we believe happiness is our right, don't we? Our national creed includes the pursuit of happiness. It's our doctrinal orthodoxy. But what does happiness look like? What do happy people look like? Smiling, laughing, beautiful, surrounded by other people, and certainly surrounded by a lot of stuff. I, I, I met with some girls and talked about this subject, and I said, so tell me what advertisements look like. Do you ever see a grunchy, sad, sour, crying advertisement? No. They all look happy, don't they? What about the field of entertainment? Smiling and happy, posing, putting their hands on their hip, hip and thrusting out their leg. That's the new pose. When I went to modeling school, it was a different kind of pose than this pose. Entertainment people are smiling, and they look happy. What about political people? I think political people stop looking happy as soon as they're elected. They, there's a, a sudden change in how they look. And what about Christians? What about those people in your church? What about you in your church? Are you a smiling Christian? Because you've heard that Jesus loves you and that everything is good and better in Jesus, and you're fairly certain that everyone believes that all the time, and it's not good for you to say, I'm in a mire here. I'm stuck in the mud and I don't know how to get out. I have a friend who's now um, still alive, but uh, her mental capa capacities have, have left her. And I met her, oh, now it's probably 40 years ago. And I'll never forget the first time she said, well, honey, you have to fake it till you make it. And I, I said, what? what did you just say? I'd never heard that before in my life. Fake it till you make it. Well, I'm just not that kind of girl. I, I, I could do with a little... Um, Choosing and selecting, especially in those years, when I'm authentic and when I'm not, or when I'm vulnerable and when I'm not. But I think the church has inculcated us in many ways to say that we are expected to be happy. We are expected because we have Jesus to be happy and smiling and glad. And we certainly are glad. But people are challenged when they are always having to look happy. So in the first century church that, that Jesus is speaking to, blessed was a surprising word. It wasn't happy. It was blessed. It was a surprising word. And why is that? Because in those cultures, you did not expect happiness. You did not expect blessedness. What you expected was to pursue virtues. Courage, excellence, goodness, but not happiness. Life was full of suffering. And you needed these things, courage, excellence, goodness, to survive. Tragedy upon tragedy, plague upon plague, early demise of life, hunger, failed crops. Wien Collier, who I'm going to introduce to you soon, um, wrote a lovely book uh, called uh, Love Big, Live Well. Love Big, Live Well. 
Paul is reminding us in Hebrews that suffering produces endurance. We talked about this recently. And then he offers the fact that endurance brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I want to say that it's not about happiness and this modicum of happiness that we look for, that God might take it away. And certainly he might, and you might be left alone, and you might have illness and sickness. My son-in-law has cancer. Does that mean that Jesus still isn't Jesus? Does that mean that his salvation in Christ still isn't real? No, of course it doesn't. But he's not happy. He's not happy. He's not smiling all the time because he has cancer and he has pain and he has difficulty. This, this transition in the whole of the culture, and I know this is a little tedious, but I, I want you to get it. The transition is that until the children of Israel, this obscure tribal people, started expressing a sense of happiness, they used it a lot. And that was because God had promised Abraham certain things, and they began to consider that these things were promises that God would keep. We don't live that way anymore, not in America. We all expect to be happy, and when we're not happy, we blame, we hide, we we take up habits that are not good for us to control ourselves, to comfort ourselves. If I had one penny for every woman who said she was binge-watching TV, binge-watching novels, binge-eating, binge-talking on the phone to her friends, all because she was in a hard place. I don't think I've ever heard someone say, I've been binging on Jesus lately, and I still feel badly. Because when we make time to do what God has called us to do, these blessed, these words which are happy and fortunate, spoken eight times in this passage. Think of the first church, and what does it say that they participated in? When you think of the first church, they loved one another, they came together, they brought all their belongings to each other, they shared with one another. It it felt like a bunch of happy people. And that was because they were following what God had just left for them to do. So I want to talk a little bit about what I found in Eugene's work and the reality that the blessed part is an action that we can take to receive the blessing. It's not, it's, it's not a mandate. It's just saying to us that blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, And those who are meek will hone their passion for skilled gentleness. Now, I'm going to go through these eight Beatitudes, and we're going to offer this resource for you to go back and look at. I've never seen so clearly how God gave the Beatitudes with the promise that he would be enough so that the poor in spirit the poor in spirit would find the kingdom of heaven. So how do I become poor in spirit? I empty myself of pride so I can be full of God's spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How can I mourn and have comfort? I share the sufferings of others rather than avoiding them. 
Do you ever feel like you want to cut bait and run when you see sad Sally coming towards you and you know that she's sad and she wants to talk about it? Oh, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted when we allow others to share their suffering. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does it look like to be meek with that promise? We hone our passion to skilled gentleness. If I am passionate about being gentle with others, I will become one of the meek who will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I remember thinking that was the one of all the Beatitudes. I I wanted to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, I, what does it say will happen? I will be filled. We reject the appetites of consumer society and cultivate deep personal relationship with God and others. Then I will be hungering and searching for righteousness, and I will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. How can I behave in a way that I become the merciful? We refuse to react to wrongdoings and troubles in the world by condemning and blaming, but instead we involve ourselves in compassionate serving. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to be pure in heart. I want to be pure in heart, but I want to see God. And I think there are times when I'm wandering around wondering, how do I become the pure in heart? I don't allow myself to be distracted and dissipated in gossip and trivia, but I center myself in God. I must tell you that in the last months, especially during the pandemic and the confinement, everyone I've talked to, like so many, not everyone, that's an exaggeration, but many people that I've talked to, the first thing they want to talk about is the new series on television. Did you see it? And had, did you binge it? And did, is it good for the kids? And is it... And I thought, when I read this, that to have a pure of heart, I can't allow myself to be distracted and dissipated in gossip and trivia, but I center myself in God. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not happy. It doesn't mean that I'm a sour face. It doesn't mean that there's nothing fun in life, but I've centered so I'm not distracted and dissipated. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. How do we become peacemakers? We decide to look at others, whatever their position, whoever they are, not as rivals, to beat out, but as brothers and sisters to love. And this group that I shared this with just recently, uh, we talked about it just a bit, and one of the women stopped and she said, that's it. That's, what, that's the beatitude I, that's the beatitude I've missed. She said, I want to decide to look at others, whatever their position is, not as rivals to beat out. And she added the word compete. Um, I don't know if Eugene will be happy with that, but I liked it, compete. And lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted, what does it mean to be persecuted? We reject the comfortable conformism of fitting into whatever the majority is doing. Fit in. What's the, what's the line? Go, go along to get along. Go along to get along. Get along with who? The people in your world? 
go along to get along? Do I want to get along with everybody in my world, or do I want to go along and find out what God wants me to do? Sometimes that requires me to take a non-conforming, narrow way. I happen to love the position I'm in at this time in life. I have the dearest friends who offer, oh, books and shows and movies, and oftentimes when one of them is being recommended, one of them will say, no, no, Donna, you wouldn't like that one. And recently, a book was recommended, and immediately this young woman said, oh, no, Donna, you would not like this book. The language is terrible. So I thought about it, and then I went online, and I checked what I remembered being true of television, where you could edit out the foul language. And so I bought the book in clean content. (laughs) I thought to myself, I haven't told her yet, clean content, same book without all the language. I think that it's nice to be able to be known enough to say, I want these Beatitudes to be a part of my life. I don't think we'll ever make them every day, every way. But I do think God has called us and gave them to us in this pivotal sermon in his first words to the disciples about how to live the kingdom of God on earth. The Beatitudes with a twist. You're saying, why are you doing these Beatitudes when it's Thanksgiving and where's all the gratitude and turkey lessons? Well, those lessons are all available. How to make a turkey is on our website, upside down and overnight. You can't ruin it, I promise you for that. Enjoy the days with your family. Make time to pause together and give thanks. And remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of discerning the Beatitudes.